Terminal Talk, episode 17. 17. Our guest today is Romney White, the great grandfather. I would say, let, let's go with Godfather. Godfather, yeah, the yeah. Godfather. Of VM. And this is VM, not VMware. VM is Transformers. VMware is GoBots. I'm, I'm sorry. It just, it just is. <laughs> and we want you to remember that, uh, you know, Romney is a, a man of age. Of the ages, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and um, so he knows a lot of this stuff. Uh, he's going to bring a lot of uh, acronyms in here. In fact, the acronyms are going to come fast and furious. Oh, yes, they do. Uh, typically, when we do a podcast that's you know acronym-heavy, we, we pause the guests and say, hey, uh, you mentioned some stuff that some people might not know. Do you mind backing up a little bit? If we did that, this would be an eight-month-long podcast episode, and uh, we just don't have the hard drive space for that. And you would really get tired of hearing us say, uh, what does that mean? So there's a uh, if something is uh, if you if you hear something and it's kind of catching you up, you might want to pause and you know do a Google search or something like that because this it covers a lot of ground. Uh, it starts out as a little bit of a history lesson, gets into some of the philosophy of VM, uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of acronyms here. Yeah, or you might do what I did the first time and just let it all wash over you, and then, and then later you'll figure it out. So uh, here we are in black and Romney white. Nice. Set your console to roll delete. It's time for another episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. So uh, Romney white. Uh, STSM for uh, the Z brand focused on ZVM. That about cover it. That about covers it. I do a few other things, but <laughs> that's my main my that, main job. That's your biggest hat. Yeah. Well, and you've been doing VM forever, right? Bef- since VM three seventy release one, which was nineteen seventy two. So it's been a while. So, um, how would you describe? Uh, ZVM compared to, say, VMware. And you're not allowed to use foul language. <laughs> okay. You know what? I think the VMware guys actually <clears throat> were uh, a little bit surprised to learn about VM, ZVM, and their reaction was, was quite encouraging. They kind of look up to us as what they want to be someday, I think, because, you know, VM is, is um, represents a... S- significant investment by IBM and by clients in some some uh, unique technology that's really gone from a science project to running some of the biggest businesses in the world today. So, yeah, it's great that you put it that way because it was not originally meant to be a client uh, environment, right? It was really meant for us originally, right? Well, so it, it really was a science project uh, the data processing division did it, not the systems division. And it was a type, you know, CP67 was a type 3 program that uh, a few research places used, like uh, the Cambridge Scientific Center, um, uh, Perkin Elmer uh, in their engineering lab in Danbury, and, um, you know, a bunch of, bunch of universities and colleges just you know it was and it was really to experiment with computer science kinds of things and virtualization was one of them i remember being um i was at the university of waterloo after i graduated from there and uh in in the uh in the um computing center 
the IT services department. And this colleague of mine came back from a conference. It might have been a share conference and said, you'll never guess. They had the strangest thing <laughs> at this. They had this this uh, system that you could – where you could bring up another machine, a virtual machine, and IPL MVT in it. Now, what use is that? <laughs> So it really did start out as as a theoretical research type oh, yeah. or exploration of the idea of virtualization. <clears throat> well, the idea of virtualization and also some some fairly unrelated things like that's where um, script came from, the formatting language, which you know eventually evolved into GML and um, led in a way to HTML and other markup languages. That was uh, a guy at uh, Cambridge Scientific Center, Stu Madnick, who was just interested in that, and a virtual machine was a great place to deploy this technology because, you know, you could have your own sandbox. So there were a lot of innovations that, that came along um, that were related to computer science and not necessarily related to virtualization, just enabled by it. So, Yeah, so you started you, – maybe you could go through that, that story too, when, how, how you started to become in the, the, a guy in the VM world. Right. So when I, I joined the university um, main, uh, computing center, <clears throat> I chose them um, because I could work on mainframes as opposed to things like 1401s or System 3s that, that were also prevalent at the time. And um, so I was, I was uh, writing uh, software for OSMVT. And uh, we had a we had a 360 model 75, which in its day was a pretty big machine, one of the biggest 360s IBM made, and we used that to support all the computing in the university. And and one of the innovations that actually started on the uh, 7044 uh, that we had before the 360 was student job computing. So a student could key punch a program into a deck of cards drop it into a reader, a hot reader, and it would instantly be compiled and executed and the listing would spit out on a printer beside the card reader in a matter of seconds. So we could handle thousands of student jobs every day. The 36075 was a big machine, but it wasn't nearly as reliable as Z-Systems are today. And in particular, our 36075 had what came to be known as the channel zero problem. So <laughs> channel zero is the byte multiplexer channel and every once in a while, it would just – red lights would turn on. It would stop working and the whole machine would go down. And, you know, there were only maybe 15 360 75s in the world. So there weren't very many engineers who knew the machine. A lot of them were in at NASA in Houston. So they didn't frequent Canada all that much. So uh, this problem went on and on. And eventually, the, the management said, we need to get a backup at least for the student job processing, because that's our bread and butter. I mean, that's what makes students attracted to the computer science program here. And uh, we really need those things to, to work to keep the academic program going. So they brought in a 370 Model 145. And its role was to back up the student job processing. So that's fine. Somebody uh, got that to work. But um, one day, this IBM guy showed up. And it turned out he had been 
attached, uh, I guess, on a temporary assignment to the VM development group in uh, Burlington, Massachusetts, as VM370 was being prepared for announcement and launch. And after that assignment was over, he came back to Toronto, and he found out that we had a 37145. So he showed up one day with a couple of tapes and said, you mind if I borrow your machine for a while? And we weren't using it at the time, so we said, sure, go ahead. So he worked away at the, the console, the typewriter console of the day, uh, for a couple of hours. And then he went home, back to Toronto. And all we had left was a stack of typewriter paper with all this weird stuff on it. So we started looking at it, and we understood what he, some of what he'd done, and we were intrigued enough to say, you know, maybe we can use this technology here. We went to our bosses and said, we think this is interesting stuff. We should be, we should be involved with this. And they said, well, it's fine as long as it does the job we got it for, which is back up the student job processing application, fine. So we redesigned that application to use a bunch of virtual machines to create a network of that would process these student jobs. Hmm. And, you know, these 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 jobs were using languages like uh, like uh, What5, the Waterloo Fortran compiler, and uh, Snowball and uh, Lisp and all kinds of things. We had one virtual machine for each compiler. So they would sit there ready to suck in jobs, and we'd send them jobs from a central uh, virtual machine, distribute the jobs. They would run them in parallel. We'd sort them out so they went out in the right order on the other end, and life was good. So it's like uh, you did the first grid computer. Right. <laughs> well, we didn't know that's what it was called. But yeah. <laughs> Ahead of your time, always. <laughs> so, so when did it really turn from being a, a, um, an experiment uh, of research into this can be productized and this could be, you know, a, a whole operating system. Well, VM three seventy was the productization of of CP sixty seven. Um, it was uh, enhanced by the hardware, so there was support in the machine specifically for VM. Whereas on the sixty seven, it was that was a real science experiment from a hardware perspective. I think putting a DAT box on on the three sixty. Um, but um, VM370 was, was really the productization, uh, and it went pretty well for a few years, and, uh, but IBM, as usual, uh, lost focus on it, I think. And um, the customers got – some of the customers got quite upset. So at Share, there was a group that got together and put together a presentation to explain to IBM the value of its asset. And fortunately, a few folks listened, and that was a successful effort, and, and VM kind of uh, was revitalized then. And I would say there was another near-death experience um, in the late 90s, um, right before Z-Architecture came out. Uh -huh. And um, it, was, it was the realization that uh, IBM could not produce the Z, ZOS, the Z version of MVS, <clears throat> without ZVM for development and test, that turned the tide. So, when, you know, we started working on ZVM 
to run on Z architecture machines in the late 90s and and came out with a product and in what 2001. Per, what percentage rewrite would you say that was? Well, there had been some work done um, on uh, VM. There was a VMXA and, and there was also uh, – I keep Product. wanting to raise my hand because I have yeah. no idea what a lot of these words are. <laughs> <laughs> what, that's XA? Extended architecture. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So there was uh, – ESA was enterprise systems architecture. Right. And then XA was beyond that. And then there was a product – well, not a product. There was a – there was something called the you – know, it was a product, the VMXA migration aid. Um, but there was also something – I th- don't think it was a product called the VM tool. That um, I think was supposed was was um, supposed to help clients migrate in some fashion. I'm not really quite sure what that. I wasn't in, I, in IBM at the time. Okay. Um, but ZVM took us a couple of years of pretty heavy development, and a lot of things were. It was an opportunity to correct some things, an opportunity to rewrite some things. But we really started with the the XA base. Which um, which had addressed a lot of the deficiencies in, in uh, design deficiencies in, in VM three seventy and VMSP, the the predecessor products. Right, because I I came in in oh uh, one oh two, and I remember there was a, a sysprog in my area who was uh, he was reluctantly praising Linux for uh, giving them a reason to play with uh, VM again. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I know Frank knows Jim Perrell. You may not, but uh, he was with IBM. Um, his line was, Linux is the Viagra for ZDM. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because it really did uh, invigorate. No, before then, VM was the basis for personal computing. Right. Right. With profs, office vision. Oh, man. Um what Frank sends me all those tells, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always uh, can recognize somebody who who liked uh, profs and office vision when they they're talking about their email and they say, "Oh, that's in my reader." Right, right. <laughs> PF4. <laughs> but that that market was changing and and really dying, or at least not growing enough. And uh, so Linux came along at just the right time to. For VM, and you know, we we did some pretty serious investments to facilitate uh, running Linux well. We continue to do those as we learn more and more. But um, the early days, it was I think it was critical that we embraced Linux or Linux, or Linux embraced us. Yeah, we before that though, a lot of um, IBM was focused on using it to test their own. Systems, right? The, the software oh, guys yeah. would use it before they had hardware. Oh yeah, and that's still true. Um, certainly, Poughkeepsie uses it for ZOS and related products. Uh, Raleigh for for the same. Um, yeah, Hersley, I think, for CICS. Uh, San Jose or Santa Teresa for uh, IMS DB2. So yeah, I mean, we can't afford to buy the machines we need to replace. To replace VM now these days with LPARs uh, being uh, you know much much more scalable, being able to get more LPARs on a box, it's not as challenging as it used to be. 
But when you could get six Alpars on a machine, you'd have to buy a lot, a lot of machines. <laughs> but, and there was a lot of things. That, um, the neat, one of the neat things about ZVM is that I can create conditions on the fly that are kind of difficult to reproduce in hardware without doing some weird things, right? Yeah, you can you can do timing related things, for example, make sure A always follows B and you know um and uh and really exercise those code paths that uh would be difficult to do. You know, I I've I've worked with some folks on um who work on the uh system timing protocol hardware in the in the uh, SE and the HMC, so they're interfacing with the, with the STP uh, devices, and you know they they of course test this stuff very well. So they part of their testing is going around pulling cables out, mm -hmm. right? But customers not going to do that, right? And we're probably not going to. Most of us are probably not going to do that either. So being able to do that virtually is is a very important function that VM enables. Do you, do you think that um, that kind of capability is something that will be valuable for people who are setting up Linux, multiple Linux instances, uh, the, the ability to kind of create um, conditions that allow them to, to, to stress test uh, what they have? Or is that is that a level of sophistication that most people are not going to be interested in? I don't think most people will be interested in it, but I think they'll be happy that we've done it. We've been talking about the fact that Linux has been kind of renewed the interest in, in VM starting in the early 2000s. Would you say that the, the main focus of the development that you do now is all Linux, or is there is there more to the work that you guys are doing? I'd say there's uh, there's some um, emphasis on Linux over other things. Um, so, but fundamentally, you know, we we implement the architecture, we virtualize the architecture, and if it happens to be a piece of the architecture that ZOS takes advantage of, then it's there. But um, the rate and pace might be different. So, for example support for uh, guest use of large pages um, lagged the actual implementation in hardware by quite a while because it wasn't being exploited very much by Linux. Now it's being exploited more and we're, you know, moving into that arena. So it's more a matter of timing, I think, than, than capability. But um, there are certainly things we've done specifically for ZOS, like virtualizing the coupling facility. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, will we if, – if another thing like that comes along, will we, will we do that? I don't – I think that's, that's – uh, that would be more difficult to engineer these days. I mean engineer from a business perspective. Right. Um, right. It's not a technology limitation. It's a will – Yes, and it, and it's it's a matter of where our customers are. You now, the vast majority of folks are are running Linux. There's still people who use who use ZVM to uh, bring up ZOS guests to make sure they run, and clearly that's something we do in IBM every day.
um, and and use it to its to its full extent for debugging and and uh, development and so on. But uh, that's not very prevalent with clients. And is is that because we can have so many more LPARs on a system, or why why aren't clients um, running their ZOSs underneath ZVMs? Well, I think there are a few reasons. One is you you pay by the pound for ZOS, right? Uh-huh. So you want to get as close to the metal as you can. I, uh, another is that uh, there are some limitations. Um, so ZOS knows it's running in a virtual machine, and it doesn't do certain things that it does when it's running native. And the other thing I think is is there's the potential for more unpredictability, more variability in response time or throughput. Because ZVM is there, you're sharing the resources with other virtual machines, right? Once you've got one ZOS up, well, why not bring up another one? And, right. you know, might not be the right time of the day to do that <laughs> uh, sort of thing. But but it's so easy to do that, uh, you know, it, it, it can happen. So what would you say the percentage of people who are running cl- clients who are running ZVM um, for Linux versus other things? Is it like 90% for Linux, would you say? or is it? It's a pretty high proportion. There are still some folks who uh, who have business applications that run on CMS. They use uh, DB2 for VM. And, uh, you know, there's a myriad of, of, of other tools from, from IBM and from ISVs that still run in that environment. Um, but they're certainly uh, dwindling in, in popularity. And a lot of the modern tools, of course, are showing up in Linux. So you're not going to get uh, – you're unlikely to get a new uh, COBOL compiler or, uh, or a native Python for CMS, uh, you know, anytime. And CMS confirmation, con- uh, conversational monitor system, right, was the way – that people used to use VM when they were running it for their personal computing environment. Right? Correct. And, yeah, so CMS is uh, – it used to be the Cambridge Monitor System because it came out of the Cambridge Scientific Center. And another science experiment. Let's write an operating system that only supports one user. Then we don't have to worry about uh, serialization between users, who's got authority to what. Uh, in fact, we can run the operating system. Uh, we can run everything in supervisor state. If you want to run your application program in supervisor state, go ahead. You know, the only person you can hurt is yourself. Um, so it simplified a lot of the aspects of the programming model and, um, and introduced some, uh, some, some new concepts um, along the way. CMS is still pretty important to to VM development, that's our development platform. That's where we write code. That's where we uh, compile it, build. Um, and then, you know, we re-IPL our virtual machine with a with a, a, a ZVM nucleus in it and switch back and forth as, as we need to. Yeah, it's funny that um, when I started with IBM back in the um, – Everything was CMS, right? All of the all of the work that wasn't actual development, which you would have to do on on MVS at the time, 
Um, but but all of the stuff that we would do, the meetings, um, communication, tell, and stuff like that. Time recording. Time recording. Um, was all done. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? And props. And, and VM was where, I, at least I first got introduced to the idea of service machines and, and systems that were dedicated yeah. to doing activities that were not. Um, that were not yours. And, yeah, and th- there was there was always a a machine running somewhere. Um, that was an idea that that first kind of came in from a VM concept, right? This idea, right? Yeah. So the idea, in part, is that there are some things that you you really want to have them available to everybody in the system, but you don't want to put them in CP. You don't want to put them in the hypervisor either because they're large and complex and therefore, you know, could have errors in them. And when the hypervisor goes down, of course, all the virtual machines go down. So that's not a good thing. But also there are things that might not be mission critical. It's important to have backups, but you don't need to put that in the hypervisor. You can have a virtual machine that does that. And what you put in the hypervisor are the interfaces that the backup process needs to access uh, the disks to be backed up, for example, to mount the tapes and, you know, coordinate all that stuff. Um, the same with the security. So we have an external security manager that you can plug in. You know, ours is RACF, but CA has a couple that uh, Top Secret and, and VM Secure and ACF2. I guess they have three. Right. Um, <laughs> Those are service virtual machines that have an API uh, with the control program. So the control program says, is this okay? And the external security manager figures it out and goes back and says yes or no. But that's that's all in a virtual machine. Right. What's what's interesting is that's a separate server, if you will, that's connected as opposed to the way it's kind of integrated in ZOS. The model is fundamentally different. Correct. And so do you see that model as facilitating uh, the types of things that that Linux needs to do uh, in a modern enterprise? The fact that we have an environment that has these servers that are integrated into uh, the control program and available to something like Linux, is that something that is a – you would call that a, a value um, that VM brings? It is a value that VM brings, but I don't know that it, it's, it's uh, as important in the Linux environment as it was in the CMS environment hmm. where you had – you know, the idea of CMS is there's a user on the end of that console, that virtual machine console who's, who's uh, you know, sitting there interacting with it. Whereas with Linux, most of the guests are unattended. They're servers. Uh, what we do find, though, is that they're Oracle servers or they're WebSphere servers or they're, you know, some other kind of single-purpose pretty much server, even though Linux is, is obviously, you know, a multitasking operating system capable of running many things. Um, having Linux specialized has a lot of value for clients. So that's what we... I think I think we're finding. So instead of VM having service machines running, most customers are are running these kind of service instances within Linux, 
with VM kind of supporting that. Yeah, but, you know, there's still a backup server that runs as it's a service machine. There's still an external security manager. There's still uh, the TCP IP suite in ZVM, which is a set of virtual machine service virtual machines, right? The FTP server is one. The mm-hmm. SMTP server is another. The TCP IP stack is a third one and so on. Um, and it's not unusual to find uh, the footprint, if you will, of a of a ZVM system with no Linux running is 100 virtual machines, and they're mostly service machines. So generally then, I'm a customer and I'm going to go down this path. Uh, do you guys come in and say, okay, here's a good setup and it has a bunch of these uh, these service machines that we kind of say here's how it should run and, and now you just install a bunch of Linux instances on that as well, or how does one get started? I guess is the question. Well, usually, the I think the customer has a Linux workload somewhere, probably on x86, and for you know any of a number of reasons, they want to to move it to to the mainframe. So they often just start out saying, "Okay, we'll bring in ZVM." Um, we don't really have very many service machines other than the ones that come in the package. So there's a few like the uh, the Eric uh, machine and the accounting machine and a few others. Uh, and then they, they'll start creating their Linux guests. And then, you know, they get to a certain number of those things and they say, wait a minute, we're – we're creating a management problem for ourselves here. So we need to go and get some more service machines like Operations Manager, uh, IBM Wave, uh, Tape Manager, other things that will help us uh, automate and simplify our, our operation. Do a lot of uh, customers run stuff within VM to manage those Linux instances or is most of the Linux management through a set of either IBM service machines or or something that that um, goes into those Linux guests specifically to do management. People uh, running Rex scripts or or would you say it's more? Well, the, the, so because of VM's heritage, there are a lot of experienced people who grew up through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Uh, you know, it's jumped in at some point there. And they found they had to do a lot of – they had to roll their own a lot. Right. And so a lot of that has has prevailed as they've got into the Linux environment. So they'll, they're comfortable um, doing these one-off management things or they've built some, you know, cloning or provisioning infrastructure that for themselves because they knew how to do it and it was uh, – it was the way to get what they wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think with newer clients, what we're seeing is they can buy a suite of products that will do this management. And actually CA, or well, it was VM software in those days, really started that notion. Um, but uh, IBM's jumped in, I think, and, and, and kind of leveled the, the playing field a little bit there. So we'll often, especially with a Linux One customer, um, just say, you know, you're going to need the systems management stuff. You may not need it to start out with, but you probably should understand it and be ready 
to to de- if you start using it now, then when when you do get to that point when you you would have said, "Whoops, you know, you're already mm-hmm. positioned." So, do we come in and kind of help you set up? How does how does that? Work? We can do that. I mean, uh, many many times uh, clients will engage lab services or will build a lab services component into the 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 deal. Uh, so that those folks come in and they're very knowledgeable about VM and and uh, everything that runs on it, as well as Linux, and just help the customer get going and understand uh, the differences between what they're used to and and what they have with the mainframe. So I'm a, I'm a new Linux on on the mainframe user. I've been running Linux on x86 for years. Do I now have to hire somebody to do the VM stuff? Um, how busy are they usually? You can hire someone to do the VM stuff if they have something else to, for them to do with 70 or 80% of their time, <laughs> right. I think. So it's it's really a very small – is it easy for somebody who's, oh, I've, you know, I've, I've only done Linux. I'm just out of college and we've done Linux stuff. I know how to manage this. How hard would it be for them to pick up understanding VM to be able to manage? Well, people do it um, every day. Um, There's a lot of support from the community. There are listservs um, where people ask questions. And and unlike some of the mailing lists you may be familiar with, (laughs) this is a friendly group. Mm -hmm. Um, They, you know, they were all there once and they're very helpful um, to to folks who are just learning this stuff. Uh, It's also... um, at least a lot of the Linux people that I've, you know, sort of the pure Linux people that I've run into have been uh, very uh, open-minded. They understand that there's value in the virtualization technology. And, um, you know, it, the Linux attitude seems to be, this is another tool I can use. Right. So why wouldn't I use it? I, when, when Linux was first uh, kind of hitting the scene, the whole thing was, look how many things I can run this on. Like I, I have this yeah. running on a a Game Boy or, you know, a, a toaster oven. or uh, So the idea of getting it running on another platform is just cool. Look what I can do here. Where do you see this going in the future? Mm-hmm. What what's what are the things that we can – that on the horizon that we say, well, someday VM is going to do, you know, this? It's, what would that be? Well, I think there's three areas where we're, we're, we're focusing. One is just – you know the technology. So, customers need more memory, more processors, bigger virtual machines, um, and that's just sort of uh, a continuing battle. You know, we we give them more memory, and then they want more CPUs. Give them more CPUs, and they need more memory to to, to be able to use those CPUs. And, um, so that's one area of focus. Another area is uh, ease of use. So we've done some things recently. A simple, simple one is uh, you can you can now issue a command to find out what APARs you have applied on your system, and it seems silly, right? Surely you know, but when it's three o'clock in the morning on the weekend and the operator's about to to kick off a test, it's important to know that the thing that he's supposed to be testing is is actually there. Mm. <laughs> and so small thing, but huge, huge benefit for the client. So 
ease of use things uh, are, are important too. And then, you know, there's a set of, of innovation items. So um, we have, the, as you said, the virtual switch. Well, we now have uh, virtual switches that can be global across a keck, oh, wow. different LPARs. And once you have global virtual switches, you want to be able to manage the uh, – you want to be able to balance the, uh, the traffic across those LPARs or across the virtual switches on one LPAR that are, you know, sharing a set of OSIs. So we're, you know, we're working things like that. Um, I always like to say if if it moves, we virtualize it <laughs> in VM. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always lots of moving parts out there for us to have fun with. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate and we're kind of running out of time. Thanks for for spending this time with us. Yeah, thank Thanks, you. My pleasure. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Did, did you get all that? Uh, I'm going to have to listen to it again, I think. <laughs> that was great information. Uh, you know, uh, I, I wish that I could appreciate more of it. The stuff that I did uh, recognize... I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's really cool. Um, and I know there are going to be a lot of people who hear it and say, wow, that's that's great insight. I think, though, uh, we're going to have to compartmentalize it because I think there's a lot of pieces that we started to talk about but didn't go into enough for people to go, oh, I get it. We could probably spend all day on vSwitch and another day on Dermain. Yeah, and, and I think that if you're really trying to understand how that works, that's going to be important. So, you know, when people leave comments, they can let us know yeah. what they what they really want to hear more of. It would really be nice if people, you know, left comments. Yeah, I mean, it might be worth some money to them. I don't have any money, do you? Well, I didn't say how much. <laughs> but you know, Frank... Yes. If I were inclined to find more specific information about a topic such as an operating system, mm-hmm. you know where I might go? Where? IBM Systems Technical University. Well, there happens to be one coming up. Really? Yes. Tell me more about it. It's going to be in November, uh-huh. the 13th through the 17th, in Washington, D.C. District of Columbia. Ooh. And uh, we'll be there. We're going to be ho- uh, hosting a bunch of uh, interviews there. Yep. I have a couple sessions. I'm going to be doing a session or two myself. Yep, yep. And if you can't make it out to uh, D.C., we'd still love to hear from you electronically. Uh, You can reach out to us, contact at TerminalTalk.net. On Twitter, we are at TerminalTalk. And we're always uh, looking for your comments on the mainframe subreddit, slash r, slash mainframe. And uh, that's it. Old Man Charlie, play us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.